Okay, we're going to get started with this, this message. And I have a handout I'd like to give to you. I, I'm a, I was a teacher before I went into full-time ministry. And one of the ways I learn is by, I'm a visual learner. So I learn by seeing the word in front of me, seeing uh, the, the truth in front of me. And then continuously meditating on it, reading it over and over and thinking about it and meditating on it. So I always give hands out because that's my style of learning. If it's not yours, it won't hurt my feelings. But if it would help you, I want to do anything I can do to help you to get this truth from here into here because that's when it really does the enemy a world of damage and you a world of good. So this message is actually going to be a three-parter um, and it's about, the title is, The Kingdom of God is in you. The Kingdom of God is in you. And then we're going to be talking about three characteristics of Jesus that are in you, that are parts of the Kingdom of God, that have a great powerful value. We're going to talk tonight about righteousness. The next time I teach, we're going to talk about peace. And the third time about joy, righteousness, peace, and joy. So let's just, I'm going to go through these foundational scriptures. The first one is Luke 17, verses 20 through 21. Now, when Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them. And he said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. So at the beginning, Jesus, when he's talking about the kingdom of God, he says, they were looking for signs. They were looking for an uh, earthly king to rule an earthly kingdom. But Jesus had a way bigger plan. God had a way bigger plan when he sent Jesus. So he said, don't look at signs. We see that today, don't we? In this season we're in, people are always looking for signs, signs in the sky, signs in the events that are happening in the world, signs in the hurricanes and the storms, signs. Jesus said, look, the kingdom of God, don't look out there, look here. The kingdom of God is in you. Now let me define the kingdom of God the best that I can. It doesn't refer to heaven after you die, although that's probably part of it. But there's way more. The kingdom of God, the word kingdom, look at the word itself. It literally means the king's domain. Jesus is king. It's Jesus's domain, the king's domain. Now, it makes sense to say Jesus is king. Jesus has royal power and authority over the kingdom of darkness. That's the kingdom of God. Let me say that again. Jesus's royal power and authority over the kingdom of darkness. There's a scripture in John, 1 John 3, 8, and it's not up on the screen. This is the scripture. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Destroy. Destroy. Now, here's the really good news. That same kingdom of God is in us. We've been commissioned. We've been empowered. 
with the same royal power and authority that Jesus carried. We are now, uh, I had a pastor that used to say, we're like little Jesus with a skin on. The kingdom of God is in us. We have power and authority over the works of the enemy, just like Jesus did when he walked on the earth. That's the kingdom of God that is in us. Now, when I first started hearing this kind of teaching, it, it, I couldn't even begin to wrap my puny little mind around it. And I still don't even try. I choose to just meditate on the bigness of Jesus in me, the hope of glory, Christ in me. Everybody put your hand on you. Christ is in me. Say it. Christ is in me. The hope of glory. And that word hope isn't just a wish. Hope means confident expectation. And glory means the manifest presence of God. The manifest, I expect, the manifest presence of God in me and through me. Because that's what the Bible says. He says, Jesus says, the kingdom's God's in you. Now the next scripture, Romans 4, verses 16 through 18 talks a little bit more. There's a lot of scriptures about the kingdom of God, but this is another one. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Do you remember the scripture where Jesus talks about It's not what you eat doesn't make you clean or unclean. He says what you put in doesn't make you clean or unclean. It's what's in you that comes out. It's what's in you. And that's what he was saying to the the people. He was saying it's not what you eat or drink. But that righteousness that's in us is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to tell you something that this has just become big to me, rhema to me. God has spoken this to me recently. And that is that I used to say that those things were like little seeds in there that needed to grow. But that isn't true. What God has shown me is that I have the full measure of Jesus' righteousness, the full measure of the peace and the joy of God. Not a little bit. Our problem is in our perception. It isn't in what we have. It's in our perception and understanding and releasing what we have in simple faith. Simple faith means you don't have to understand it. You don't have to feel anything. You, you choose to say, I believe it. By faith, I, I, I take that step. We have righteousness, peace, and joy through the Holy Spirit who's in us. So... Today we're going to be talking about righteousness. And let me tell you my main reason why. This is a healing class. There's a a deception of the enemy that says, well, maybe I'm not worthy. Or maybe because of this or because of that or because of my works or because of my lack of works or because of something, I'm just not 
receiving. I don't know why. Many times there's the I don't know why thing. But we ask the question, and we question ourselves, and we question our worthiness. We question our faith. We question ourselves. What I'm going to teach tonight, I pray, puts an end to that question. Because you are worthy. Because you're righteous. You're worthy because you're righteous. And we're going to talk about what the Bible says and why you're righteous. And why you are perfectly righteous. I'm going to share two stories. I'm going to share yours. But I'm also going to share another gentleman. I prayed for a gentleman a couple years ago. And it was really interesting the way that it happened because I was praying for people. It was on a Sunday. So after service, people were invited for prayer, and I was praying for people. And there was an usher who was ushering. So he was standing behind the people that I was praying for. And everybody received prayer that wanted prayer, and the usher was still there. He came up, and he was, just wanted to talk and ask some questions and talk about healing. He was really intrigued by the ministry of healing. He had never really prayed for healing or experienced it himself. Or, so he was just intrigued. And he started to talk to me. And pretty soon I noticed that every time I talked, he was leaning in really close, leaning in really close. And then he finally said, I have a really bad hearing loss, really severe hearing loss. I didn't think twice. I didn't even ask. I just laid hands on his ears and I said, well, let's pray. And I laid hands on his ears and I prayed for him. And then, as soon as I said amen, he stepped back and he said, I have never received prayer for my hearing because I deserve this hearing loss. I did it to myself. He was a police officer, and he had to go to the shooting range a lot. He didn't wear proper ear coverings, and he blamed himself completely because because of his own negligence, he had a hearing loss, he didn't deserve to be healed. And I immediately shared truth with him. I said, Bruce, it has nothing to do with you. Jesus paid the price for you. Jesus took the judgment for you. And it's not you and it's not your worthiness. It's Jesus and his worthiness, his works, not yours. And, uh, you know, we finished our conversation and he left. That man started improving And he continued improving. And he continued improving. He was in awe. So here's a man that didn't think he was worthy. God healed him anyway. God reached out and touched him. He says, let me show you. Let me just show you. You are worthy, Bruce. Not because of you, but because of me. And his hearing was restored. Chris is another example. Chris, the one that shared her testimony. When she came that night, she literally told Marlene, I don't believe in this stuff. She says, I'm really skeptical. Marlene says, that's okay. I can believe for you. She was in a position of not even believing. Now, when we teach about healing, and you see it if you do this Bible study, we talk about God's part of grace and our part of faith, which is believing in his part. He took Chris and met her right where she was at and healed her. That's the amazing goodness of God. So we're going to look today at a truth that's in the word. 
that I believe if you receive this truth, if you receive it and say, God, this is amazing, but I will believe it and receive it, I think it will make a huge difference in receiving everything else God has for you. So as children of God, we have become righteous in him. We have become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him, Jesus, he made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is part of the divine exchange. Jesus became sin so that we could become righteous. There was a divine exchange. We were filled with sin. We were stained with sin. We had original sin from Adam. We had accumulated sin from a life of a sin nature. But Jesus took all of it. He took our sin. He paid the price for our sin. And we became his righteousness. We became the righteousness of God. That word righteousness is a gift, a grace gift. We talk about grace a lot. It means a free gift, a free gift from God, whereby all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, our part is to believe, confess our belief, receive his sacrifice, and then we become righteous. It's not, it is not attainable through our obedience to the law. We can't say, I followed all of the Ten Commandments. I was kind. I did this. I did that. That won't work because we all have missed it, knowingly or unknowingly. We just can't live perfectly. We can't. It's not attainable through following the law. It's not attainable through our merit. That means being a good person. And it's not obtainable through works, through buying your righteousness or being a missionary or you know tithing or whatever it's not attainable through any of those things when i was asked when my friend asked me if i was saved the day that she led me to salvation i gave her all three of those reasons because i didn't know any different i said well i don't have any grave sin in my life i i'm a good person I, 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 you know, I go to church every Sunday. I take my kids to church every Sunday. Yeah, I think I'm saved. She just said, do you want to be sure? And then she led me through that prayer of declaring my belief and accepting Jesus' sacrifice and truly becoming the righteousness of God. So our righteousness isn't based on us. It's based entirely on Jesus and his works. Righteousness is not something we have. It's something we are. It's our state of being. The part of us that becomes righteous is our spirit. We're three-part being. You might say, well, I still miss it. I still sin. I still screw up all the time. That's your soul and your body, your flesh. But your spirit is perfected and sealed. So our three-part being Our spirit is the part of us that's perfected and forever sealed. Now listen to this. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that is, grafted in, joined to him by faith in him as Savior, he's a new creation. 
reborn and renewed by the Holy Spirit. The old things, the previous moral and spiritual condition have passed away. Behold, new things have come because spiritual awakening brings a new life. Yay, God. Yay, God. We're new. The old has passed away. That's not me anymore. I'm made new. I'm going to say something that please don't take this as in any way being sacrilegious because the first time I heard it, that's what I felt. That's what, I, that's what it sounded like, but it isn't. We are as righteous, as pure as Jesus. Not because of us, but because of the penalty that he paid for us. Because all of the judgment that we deserved was upon him. And when God sees us, he sees us through the blood of Jesus, through his sacrifice. And he sees us just as perfect as he sees his son. When I heard that the first time, I had to, oh my gosh, it took a long time for that one to sink in. Because I, I just couldn't even, could, I, there's no way I could put myself in that same category. But God does. God puts us in that same category. We have become the righteousness of God through Christ. That's okay. Our friends are going to, we, we met early, so they're going to head out. We'll talk soon, George. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you, guys. Okay. Thank you. So the next question is, how did this happen? How did this thing called righteousness happen? The way that it happened was Jesus made the way by removing the barrier of sin. That was the key that allowed us to become the righteousness of God. I'm going to give you some scriptural evidence. 1 Peter 2.24 Jesus personally carried our sins in his body on the cross, willingly offering himself on it as an altar of sacrifice so that we might die to sin, becoming immune from the penalty and power of sin and live for righteousness. For by his wounds, you who believe have been healed. Wow. That translation is powerful. So the first part of the scripture talks about dying to sin and living for righteousness. We die to sin because Jesus carried our sin. Look look at this. It says that we, the the thing called being dead to sin, because we all know that we still have the potential to sin. But the part that's been killed is we are immune from the penalty of sin, because the penalty's already been paid, We're immune from the power of sin. It no longer has power over us. Think of uh, getting an immunization. We take our babies for immunization so they won't get measles, mumps, rubella, uh, all that stuff, whooping cough. That's what we got. We got an immunization when we received our salvation. We are now immune from the power and the penalty of sin. And therefore, we live for righteousness. But notice, there's another part to that. For by his wounds, you who believe have been healed. Forgiveness of sin and healing of the body. Righteousness and healing go hand in hand. They cannot be separated. I did a study on this scripture a couple years ago. And one of the things that I learned is that 
that grammar mark, that semicolon, is really a powerful little message. Because what that semicolon does is it shows that there is a direct relationship, that the second clause is directly related to the first one. Otherwise, there would have been a period there and a capital letter. And they would have been separated, two separate things. They're not, though. They're not two separate things. They're completely connected. Because we're righteous, not only did Jesus pay for the power of sin and the penalty of sin, he also paid for the effects of sin, and healing is one of those things. Sickness was an effect of sin. So now we have healing instead of sickness. He paid for it. By his wounds, you who believe... The believing part's important. You who believe have been healed. That's good news. That's not the only time that happens in Scripture. It happens, I believe, I found three or four Scriptures exactly like this. They're in that Bible study. Where uh, forgiveness of sin and righteousness and healing are in the same sentence because they can't be separated. Here's another example. The sin barrier was removed. Romans 6, verses 8 through 11. Now, if we have died with Christ, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live together with him because we know the self-evident truth that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has power over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin, ending its power and paying the sinner's debt. There it is again. He, he destroyed sin's power, and he destroyed the penalty of sin. Once and for all. He doesn't have to keep doing it every time you sin, guys. He did it once and for all. And the life that he lives, he lives to glorify God in unbroken fellowship with him. Well, when I read that scripture, until I get there, it all makes sense. Because Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus broke the power of sin. He's the son of God. He paid the price. He died as a sacrificial lamb for us. And then when he raised from the dead, he's with God in unbroken fellowship with him. But listen to verse 11. This is where I just get undone. Even so, and I'm going to say just like Jesus or in the same way, Consider yourselves to be dead to sin and your relationship to it broken, but alive to God in unbroken fellowship with him in Christ Jesus. Wow. Just like Jesus. Just like Jesus, the power of sin is broken off of us. Just like Jesus, we're now in unbroken fellowship with God. The reason we are is because the sin barrier has been removed. Jesus took care of it for us. So we can be in that position of unbroken fellowship. Before we were made righteous, we couldn't be. Because sin, God couldn't be with us if we weren't just as holy as Jesus. He couldn't be in uh, proximity to us if we had sin on us. He couldn't. But there's no sin on our spirit. There's no sin on us. That's how and why we become righteous because sin was taken away. The problem that was keeping us separated is no longer there. 
Now listen to this last one, and I wrote this one down because it's in the Passion Translation, and probably a lot of you don't have this translation. Listen to this. And through the divine authority of his cross, he canceled out every legal violation we had on our record and the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us. He erased it all, our sins, our stained soul, and our shameful failure to keep his laws. He deleted it all, and it cannot be retrieved. Everything we once were in Adam has been placed once has been placed onto his cross and nailed permanently there as a public display of cancellation. Amen. Amen. Yay, God. That's worth cheering about, isn't it? Praise you, God. I love the part of the scripture that says he deleted it all and they can't be retrieved. <laughs> I think of my phone. First you delete the email, and then it goes into the trash, and then you empty the trash, and you can never get it back. Unless you're a computer guru, <laughs> and I'm not. <laughs> it's gone forever. Deleted, canceled, never to return. That's what Jesus did for us. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That's the Passion Translation. I'll tell you more about it if you're interested. It's it's. Uh, one of my new favorites. I love it. I've got, um, I've got all of the books, and I read them a lot. So I want to tell you something now before I do the last piece of this message. Um, a week ago today, a week ago today is the day that Megan finished the Appalachian Trail. Uh, those of you who have known me know it's been a journey. She, she hiked for five and a half months. She hiked over 2,000 miles, 2,200 miles, did the whole thing. It's a whole huge story, a whole huge testimony. But on Tuesday, when she finished, I was. You know, I told you guys I didn't worry, and I didn't. But when she finished, I had this, this praise that rose up in me, and I was, I was just overwhelmed in two, two things. I was overwhelmed that my God walked with her every step of the way and protected her every step of the way and healed her in many, many ways as she walked the 2,020 miles, 2,220 miles or whatever. That was the one reason I was in awe. The second reason is because something rose up into me with the love of my daughter. We all love our kids. But when she finished, I was so proud of her. And I had so much love. I was praising and worshiping in my bedroom with the door shut, and I was crying like a baby in awe of the love that I felt for my daughter as well as praising God because she finished that trail. And then right after I was done praising and worshiping, I sat down in my prayer chair and I got out my journal. I was ready to, I was preparing this message for today. And I do this often. I said, God, what do you want me to know about your free gift of righteousness? And I started just listening. And then this is what I believe he spoke to me. And I wrote it in my journal, and then I typed it here. This is what he said. He said, the depth of love and emotion that you're experiencing for your daughter is just a tiny taste of my love for my children. I created you with such grand plans. Even when Satan deceived man at the very beginning, my plan was always to bless my children. 
and enjoy pouring my love upon them. That's why I made the way, the only way, to fulfill my requirement of a holy people, free from the stain of sin. And I did that by giving up the one and only who was able to pay the price, my son, my beautiful son. But my sacrifice was well worth the cost. Because now I have you, Cindy. My righteousness is yours. Now you live as I originally planned. You no longer live in a state of original sin. You now live in a state of original righteousness. And that is true for all of my children. That just... I was brought up... And this isn't just a Catholic thing, because I believe all of us were taught this in our, in our background. And it's true. It's the truth. We were born with the sin of Adam. We were born with what I learned in the Catholic Church as original sin. And it stayed with us until we received salvation. However, I, I know how I believe that is. That, but God told me, he said, you, don't want, you no longer live under original sin. You live now with original sin. Righteousness. It was his plan from the beginning. And the way that I was just overwhelmed with love for my daughter is just a smidgen of the way he loves us. Just a, just a tiny bit. Because we can't begin to know the depth of his love until we're in heaven someday. So here's a point, a critical point. It is critically important to know who you are in Christ, to know your new state of being, to know your absolute righteousness through Jesus. And we must believe and receive this truth in order to receive the fullness of the gift of grace, which includes healing. We're not able to receive it if we don't think we're good enough if we don't think we're righteous, if we don't think we're worthy, it prevents us from believing and receiving. We're here in a healing class, and I want all of us to receive the fullness of redemption. But we need to know this important piece, that we are righteous. So here's a, a, a powerful scripture, and I put this one in your handout because I want you to take this particular scripture and really meditate on it. It's Galatians 2, verses 20 and 21. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Let me try to break this down a little bit. The first part talks very much like some of the other scriptures I've read where we've been crucified with Christ and we've been resurrected to new life. The old has passed away and all has become new. We are no longer in a state of uh, dominion and control with sin in control. We are now out of the dominion and control of sin. The sin barrier has been removed and we've been reconciled to God. That's the first part. But verse 21 says, I do not set aside the grace of God. Remember, the grace of God is that unmerited gift, the gift that we didn't earn, the gift that we can't work for, the gift that we can't do anything to get. We just need to believe what Jesus did. Jesus did it all. It's a free gift. The scripture says, I will not. 
I do not set aside the grace of God for or because if righteousness comes through the law, now that means, through the law means, I still feel that I have to do everything right in order to receive the grace of God. Mm-mm. Jesus did it all right. We're never going to be completely perfect. But it doesn't even matter. Because the grace of God made the way. Now there's another whole teaching, which I do in that Bible study, that talks about godly living and about yielding to God and become sensitive to his voice. And the love of God leads you to repentance. And, and your life does change in a dramatic way. So don't think that, you know, you heard the teaching about license to sin, grace giving you a license to sin. That's a bunch of baloney. That's not what happens with it when you receive the fullness of grace. But the, the second part says, if righteousness comes through the law, if I have sin consciousness and think that I have to be perfect or that I'm not perfect so I can't receive, then Christ died in vain. So here's a question. Have you been or are you claiming that you're not good enough or not worthy or you're not doing everything right? When we live in a place of believing we're unworthy or believing, you know, that we're under condemnation for some reason, we're looking inward instead of upward. And it's actually a very subtle form of pride because your focus is on yourself instead of on the amazing finished work of God. Now, on the flip side of that, when we receive the righteousness, when we believe it, it's already ours, but when we believe it and acknowledge it, it honors God. He has paid the price for such an amazing gift, and he is so pleased when he sees us standing up tall, and saying, I am the righteousness of God. Thank you, God. Thank you. Just like Chris says, thank you, God, for the healing that you gifted me. And I say, thank you, God, for my gift of life. In the same way, we should say, thank you, God, for my gift of right standing so I can come right face to face with you. Nothing hinders me from fellowshipping with you. Amen. Amen. So what does this mean for us? What does that mean for you? I want you to think for a brief moment about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Jesus in those books. In those books, there are 23 accounts of Jesus healing individual people, and there are 17 more accounts of him healing everybody who, were, who was in need, in multitudes, in a mass of people. So my question is, do you think any of those people who Jesus healed were sinners? Yep. Do you think that, or did you ever see Jesus withhold healing because the person was unworthy? No, never. Did Jesus ever put sickness on people in order to teach them a lesson? No. But people say that in this world all the time. Somebody told me that when I was diagnosed with cancer, face to face. They said, Jesus is trying to teach you something. God doesn't do that. He didn't do it through Jesus, and Jesus is the perfect picture of his father. So this is something I say a lot, and I'm going to say it now because I think it's important. 
If there's something you're believing, like one of those three statements about you, if there's something you're believing that you can't prove through Jesus, then you need to change your believing. If you're believing that you're, God's trying to teach you a lesson, if you're believing that, that um, you, know, you can't get healed because you're not worthy, that's a lie. You can't prove it in the Bible. So it's time for a paradigm shift. Renewing your mind to truth. Being transformed. Being made new. So I'm going to give you three examples from the Bible. And we're getting ready to close. Here's the first one. Think about the woman with the sin of adultery. And the Pharisees and the scribes brought her into the middle of the place and said, she, we caught her in the act. And we're, the, the law says that we have to stone her to death. And we know the story. Jesus said, the first one of you that hasn't sinned can throw a stone. And nobody did. And then he asked the woman, has nobody condemned you? And she said, no, Lord, no one. And he said, neither do I condemn you. He gave her a gift. He gave her two gifts. First, he gave her mercy. Mercy means she didn't get what she deserved. And then he gave her grace. He acquitted her. He let her go. He gave her what she didn't deserve. He gave her the gift of no offense. He gave her the gift of acquittal. He hadn't even paid the price yet. But he was showing us the heart of the Father, the will of God. The second example is the, the, the Canaanite woman who came to Jesus with a daughter that was demon-possessed, crying out, have mercy on my daughter, have mercy on me, have mercy on my daughter. And Jesus like gave three or four or five or six excuses why he couldn't heal her. And she just kept worshiping and coming to Jesus. She wasn't going to give up. And Jesus finally said, your faith has healed your daughter. Go. She's been healed from this very hour. And she was healed. That woman was not part of the, the, um, the covenant. The, uh, the, she wasn't a Jew. She wasn't a chosen one at that time. Now God made it so that all people have access to fullness of salvation. But back then it was just the Jewish race. She wasn't Jewish. He gave her. She asked for mercy. He gave her grace which she didn't deserve. He gave her the gift. The third example I want to share is Matthew, the tax collector. Matthew was one of the disciples of Jesus. He was a tax collector. He was excluded from the people of God because of what he did. He had sold out to the Roman government. He was a Jewish man who had sold out to the government because he wanted for him. He wanted the money. He knew that he could collect the taxes for the Roman government and more. And the people, the Jewish race, hated tax collectors. And they excluded him. But Jesus didn't exclude him. Jesus chose him. We're talking about people that look really unworthy. But Jesus healed them. Jesus gave them grace. Jesus chose them. Because it wasn't about sacrifice. In fact, he even said in, when he called Matthew, he says, he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy not sacrifice. Old Testament, Old Covenant, that was old. And then there's the better covenant, the covenant of grace. 
acceptance and the power of love. So the bottom line is, and I'm going to just pray right now. Father, I pray that the truth that your word has shown us right now opens up the windows of heaven and we accept your grace gift. We accept your righteousness that you have paid such a great price for. We know that we are worthy through the sacrifice of Jesus. We receive it with all of our heart, and we will not allow you to have died in vain. You died for a great purpose. We accept your sacrifice, Jesus. Completely. We accept our right standing with you. We re- accept our forgiveness. We accept healing. We accept it, God, just as we declared you as our Savior and our Lord. Right now, we declare that you are our righteousness. You are our healer. You are our forgiver. We believe it and we receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's stand right now. We're going to worship God and then we're going to pray and we're going to believe that from this position of knowing who you are in christ it'll position you to receive the fullness of the grace of god including healing because there's nothing you can do that can make god love you less and there's nothing you can do that will make god love you more his love is perfect thank you god thank you jesus